Well, it's uh, it's Mother's Day, and I know we're going through the book of Isaiah, but I decided to take a side trip. Um, I had uh, questioned my my family and said, you know, should I stay in Isaiah, which the passage has nothing to do with Mother's Day, or do something on Mother's Day? And it was resounding that I should do something on Mother's Day, and I rejected their counsel. Um, <laughs> And then I came to church this morning prepared to do what it was I wanted to do, and the Lord corrected me that he had given me counsel through wise people, and so I yielded that counsel. Uh, that being said, uh, if you would open up to 2 Samuel 21, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, these folks walking down the aisles will give you one, right over here, 2 Samuel chapter 21. Now, you've turned there, but, but just give me a moment to kind of set the stage as to how we ended up here, um, uh, obviously by the story that was told to you. Um, the, the, my family didn't pick the passage, the Lord did. It's, a, it's an obscure passage, I'll, I'll address it in a minute, so if you just not read it right now, I know some of you are, if you'd look at me and please just do what I'm saying, doggone it. Because um, if you read the passage, you're going to be like, what exactly? I... Um, my life has been deeply touched. Um, my Christian walk, I should say, has been deeply touched by three childless women. Uh, they never had the privilege to have children on this earth, and yet they, they treated me as a son and had a huge influence in my formation and my Christian walk and also as a pastor. Um, one in particular was a woman who saved my life. Many of you have heard the story. I won't belabor it, but her name was Lois Early. Um, she was instrumental in saving my life, and she never had children of her own. Another was a woman by the name of Zabel Garabian. Her and her husband, Harry, never had children. And I got my very first opportunity in ministry through Zabel. Uh, she had actually heard a Mother's Day sermon, uh, and she dreaded going to church on Mother's Day, n- never having had children, and uh, hearing the same message over and over again that just made her miserable. And that one Sunday, the pastor who was one of my mentors had shared about uh, taking hold of the children in the community, and that was Fresno. And at the time that he gave that sermon, Fresno had the second highest murder rate, second highest car theft rate of any city in the U.S. The city was in a free fall. Uh, We just had the L.A. riots, and it was about to hit Fresno. And it was through the efforts of this woman and her husband that they embraced all the, the children in the community through the Garabian Family Life Center, uh, and through their efforts and that of many others uh, that, that took heart for these children in the Lowell District and the inner city of Fresno, Fresno went in the early 90s from being this miserable city to 1997 becoming America's finest city. And FBI statistics show that it had the highest crime rate drop of any city its size in FBI statistic history. And uh, Zabel was so instrumental and so was Harry in that transformation. So I, I was deeply touched by her. And then the other was, as many of you know, Alice Crilly, Dr. Crilly. Uh, never, she never had children, and she had a huge influence in my life. And so here I am today, having been deeply touched by uh, three women who were childless through the course of their life, all three married, uh, but never had having had children, biological children on this earth, or having adopted. And then, of course, I had my own mother who passed away in 2010, um, not having a formation of, of a Christian upbringing, but a mom who stuck uh, with us through thick and thin. There was a lot of alcohol and cigarettes in our home um, and, and trials. My father was a naval officer. We traveled often, but my mom always maintained a home, and uh, they had their struggles just like everybody does. And, and so when I would sit um, through a Mother's Day sermon, quite frankly, uh, I'm sympathetic to the pain that people feel on a Mother's Day. 
And I would listen to some of these sermons, and they're always bubbly and uplifting and, you know, superficial and a little nauseating, quite honestly. I, I, would, I would tire of them rapidly because we equate this idea with, um, with, with mothers as this idea of nurture, you know, and she gave birth to me and she changed me and she was up late at night with me. Uh, I, I'm not going to dismiss that, but uh, we have bred uh, dogs in our, our family. We've had Labradors, we've had Dachshunds. I've seen the, the mother of these puppies do the exact same thing, and I'm not interested in elevating the nurturing of the puppies, let alone, I, it, I don't want to dismiss it, but that is, that is the base level. That is the base level, and I'm not here to celebrate nurturing. I'm here to celebrate devotion. That is a higher order that I think is missed in, in the course of what it is we're celebrating. And if I'm asked to do a Mother's Day message, I'm going to go beyond the nurture side of it to the devotion side of it. That is a deeper level that only exists in humanity because we're devoted to God, we're committed to the Lord, and that devotion comes when nothing makes sense. You know, you have instinct and, and you're going to protect your child. And you're going to stand in the way and you're going to defend. And, and uh, my, my dachshund was killed by a female dog that was nurturing and protecting her puppies and killed my dog. I've seen, I've seen nurture. I've seen instinct. I, that's all programmed. But I want to go above that to a higher plane of devotion. That when nothing in the world makes sense, the devotion to the Lord can really truly say with conviction of Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good with those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That can only come through a relationship with the Lord because as, as parents, we get hit with things in life that we weren't expecting. And as human beings, we get hit with things in life that we weren't expecting. How do we process those? And that's why I came across this woman. Her name is Rizba. And she's a fascinating woman who was accused of uh, adultery, which was uh, a lie. Um, and this accusation uh, started a civil war, basically. And then this woman ends up, she has two children uh, as a concubine to Saul, and ends up having those two children sacrificed to reconcile the sins of her husband. And they're killed, along with five others from her husband of another, of another woman. And what she does has such a profound effect on the nation that it changes the course of the nation and ushers in King David to take over the throne. One woman changed the course of an entire nation. And she's just kind of overlooked. And I want to take time to take a look at devotion. And I can't think of a woman in the Old Testament that presents that better than Rizpah. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at Second Samuel 21. Verse 1, now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites, David called the Gibeonites, he spoke to them, and the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore, David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And with that, or excuse me, and with what shall I make atonement? And that word atonement, let that resonate in your ears. And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, we will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, whatever you say, I will do for you. So they answered the king, 
As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, meaning Saul, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth uh, um, had disabilities, and he, he was the son of Jonathan, who was related to Saul. But David had made a covenant to Jonathan. He was pr- protecting Mephibosheth. Now, there's two Mephibosheths in the story you'll see momentarily. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because the Lord's oath was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Armoni, not Armani, and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizbah, the daughter of Ai, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Mehalahite. <laughs> and he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell all seven together, and were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first days in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Rizbah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And David was told what Rizba, the daughter of Aiah, that's how you pronounce it, Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. Then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of Bethshan or Bethshen. We visited that when we've traveled. I'll explain it momentarily. Where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul and Gilboa. So he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there. And they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zelah in the tomb of Kish, his father. So they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I ask God that you would minister to us now through the depths of your word and through the life of this woman, Rizba. I pray, Lord, that we would come to understand its significance in our lives, and we're grateful, God, for the work that you're doing in and through us now. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please, have a seat. This idea of the difference between nurture and devotion... um, Irma Bombeck had written years ago, and she was kind of a, a student of motherhood and wrote on it often. She said, the first four or five years after I had children, I considered motherhood a temporary condition, not a calling. It was a time of my life set aside for exhaustion and long hours. It would pass. Then one afternoon, with three kids in tow, I came out of the supermarket pushing a cart with four wheels that went in opposite directions when my toddler, uh, my toddler son got away from me. Just outside the door, he ran toward a machine holding bubble gum in a glass dome. It's a tough one. I, I remember a very similar story with my mother. In a voice that shattered glass, he shouted, gimme, gimme. I told him I would give him what for if he didn't stop shouting and get in the car. As I physically tried to pry his body from around the bubblegum machine, he pulled the entire thing over. Glass and balls of bubblegum went all over the parking lot. We had now attracted a sizable crowd. 
I told him he would never see a cartoon as long as he lived, and if he didn't control his temper, he was going to be making license plates for the state. (laughs) He tried to stifle his sobs as he looked around at the staring crowd, and then he did something that I was to remember for the rest of my life. In his helpless quest for comfort, he turned to the only one he trusted his emotions with, and that was me. He threw his arms around my knees and held on for dear life. I had humiliated him, chastised him, and berated him, but I was still all he had. That single incident defined my role. I was a major force in this child's life. Sometimes we forget how important stability is to a child. I've always told mine the easiest part of being a mother is giving birth. The hardest part is showing up for it each day. Uh, Words of wisdom... And here, a mother realized her role was far beyond that of nurture, but the realization of devotion and protection. I was touched this week as I contemplated this message and what it was God wanted me to share and with the encouragement of my family. And one thing that deeply struck me was a letter I received, as did the other council members. And I'm going to couch the letter because uh, I I don't want to reveal anybody But suffice it to say, the letter that was written deeply touched me. In its initial reading, I can't say that it did. In its initial reading, um, and I know none of you have this problem, but when when you're addressed in a letter um, for things that you've done inappropriately, uh, I I know none of you ever get defensive as I did. (laughs) I was really hoping for a larger laugh than that. And I read the letter, and as you've often heard me say, uh, I've been inspired by Abraham Lincoln, and if you consider his writings at the the Lincoln Library in Springfield, Illinois, there's stacks of letters he wrote that he never sent. Uh, He would would evoke his emotion at having been hurt, and then he would sit on them, and then once his heart was settled, he would then write another letter, and that's what we've all received in history. These have never been printed or submitted. I took this letter and my initial reading was defensive, but through the course of it, I was deeply touched, and I'll tell you how it came about. I'll read the letter to you. It was written to the council as a whole. Uh, I'm writing to request you give special consideration to the Ventura County Grand Jury's findings on the placement of political signs. As I'm sure you're now aware, the Grand Jury found Thousand Oaks policy to be vague and confusing. My personal experience would confirm our lack of adequate instructions and regulations of campaign signs. During Rob McCoy's bid for city council, I noticed his campaign signs plastered all up and down Teal Boulevard and Moore Park Road. To the average passerby, it would appear that virtually all the business supporting McCoy's campaign, being that curious person that I am, I began to ask each business I visited if they indeed supported McCoy as a candidate. I asked 15 business owners, and all 15 told uh, me they did not support his candidacy, and they didn't know where the signs were coming from. Because no one was asking for their permission to post them, one owner took me aside, showed me a stack of McCoy signs he had taken down. He said uh, new ones appeared overnight every time he removed one. I'm sure I don't have to point out what is wrong with this scenario. My intent is not to single out McCoy. I'm just reporting my personal experiences when I became curious as to why so many businesses appeared to be in support of his campaign. There's no reason for Thousand Oaks not to have clear, concise regulations regarding posting signs. Uh, Not only should those posting signs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, We can do much better, and I have high hopes uh, that you'll see that we do it. A fair letter, uh, and 
quite honestly, guilty as charged. Um, I, I didn't post the signs, but in zeal during the campaign uh, for assembly, it was it wasn't good. Um, and yet, it's never fun to be listed with the other four council members and be drawn out into that. Maybe you have no problem with that. To me, it's my flesh. And as I pondered this, I saw the, who had signed it. And I began to pray over the letter. And the name kept jumping out at me and jumping out at me because I have had this name in prayer uh, periodically through time. And I started to realize I know this person. They've, they've lost a child that I knew. And, and I, I began to look back on some things that I had listed and some notes. And when I came to realize that not only had they lost a child, but they're dealing with a, an illness, immediately my heart was moved. Uh, signs, I can resolve that. I can follow my sword and acknowledge that's, that's easy. But we're dealing, what's so precious about being in community is we're dealing with human beings' lives that all have stories, And as I I prayed over that, uh, I wrote this. I said, Dear Blank, thank you for your email regarding signage in Thousand Oaks. I know the city attorney is working on this currently and will comply with the law and the council will also. On a side note, your daughter, and I listed her name, and I performed together at our church and I was so blessed by her joy and gifting. She was such a wonderful young lady. You've been in my prayers as you have endured so great a loss. I've also been praying for you concerning your health challenges. Kindly, Rob McCoy. She responded so kindly. Um, She said, thank you for your prompt and very kind response. I hope you understand this is not my intention to persecute you personally for the signs illegally posted by your supporters during your campaign. It's merely the results of my curiosity uh, when it appeared to me that most of the businesses seemed to support your campaign. And when I started asking them why, I was shocked by the response I got. In fact, I brought the matter to your campaign's attention when it happened, and you seemed genuinely concerned. You said you would have your campaign go over the rules again with your supporters. That was a good response, but I'm afraid a lot of confusion remained within the group. The fact remains that supporters who do not follow the rules when posting political signs can create an unfair advantage over a candidate that takes care in doing things properly and makes the rules clear, picking up signs. Uh, This is why I strongly urge our council to adopt the suggestions being put forth by the grand jury. Then, thank you again for your prompt reply and also your prayers. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but my daughter's father died from what his doctors called broken heart syndrome after she was killed. It's been a very tough few years, and all prayers are appreciated. And then I responded, and I said, Dear, thank you for, uh, thank you, uh, oh, excuse me, not for a moment that I feel as though you were directing your email to me, and I had no concern about persecution. You simply chose a good example to get your point across. What you shared about your daughter's father struck me hard. Uh, your daughter had a remarkable way of lighting up a room, We had two profound conversations during rehearsals regarding spiritual questions she wanted to ask me. I was struck by her thoughtfulness, sincerity, and intelligence. I enjoyed her friendship only a short time, but have never forgotten her. If you ever have need of anything I can be of help with, please feel free to call me. I listed my number. I know campaign sign violations mean very little in the light of your loss, but for what it's worth, please forgive me for the trouble I caused you concerning the signs. Kindly, Rob McCoy. I share that letter because we, we tend to get stuck on things that don't really matter. And, and that's not on her end, that's on my end. What doesn't matter is how I've, I've been 
wronged in my mind. Quite honestly, I, there's, there's much to, to ask forgiveness for in my actions. And our initial response is to defend ourselves, right? Maybe not. I, I thought maybe we we're all sinners. I'm just checking. Is, is, yes? So her letter was merited and, and sincere. Um, and as I, I pondered that, I thought beyond the signs... Um, her daughter deeply touched my life in a very short amount of time. And the conversation we had was really, and when I had heard of her death, I was grieved. Just so saddened. One of the most gifted young people I've ever had the privilege to meet. Um, And I I found myself heavy and I hadn't heard about her dad and what had occurred. And I, I started thinking about how loss affects us in life. And the picture of Rizba and, and the letter of this lady kind of culminated, and especially with the women who've touched my life that have been childless, culminated to a deeper understanding of what Mother's Day is. It, it's, it's, it's not about nurture, it's about devotion. What, what, I mean, take a look at Rizba, Rizba's life. Here's a woman that was never, she was never a wife. She was a concubine. Saul never even considered her worthy to be his wife. She was a concubine. And, and as a concubine, she was also uh, maligned by Ishbosheth, who had said to Abner, you, you, have, you have slept with the king's concubine. Abner was irritated by that. Abner was devoted to Saul. Abner would never do such a thing. And this rumor and this innuendo fell on her as though somehow she's a brazen hussy. And Abner, you know, it, it's a men's wor- man's world and they're arguing and she's just dismissed. And her character is maligned and she's attacked. And it's because of this that, that Abner finally says, I, I've had enough with you, Ishbosheth. I've had enough with you, Saul. And he sides with David. And this civil war begins. And all of a sudden, the, the forces start to side with David. Saul's still alive. David's still in exile. Jonathan and Saul go into war against the, 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 the Gibeonites. And, they, and, and in this war, excuse me, uh, the Philistines. And as they go into war... Jonathan and Saul die, and they hang the bodies of Jonathan and Saul on the walls of Bet-Shen, and they mock all of Israel, and they mock the armies, and, <clears throat> and they belittle them. And here they're looking to David, what are we going to do? And, and in the midst of all this, and this is one of those things that just gets you, that you, you see somebody like Rizba, whose life has been devastated, and She's been maligned and ridiculed and she's silent and these men are fighting over it. And what happens when men get flustered? Right? And you get war and then people die. And here's the tragedy of it. The, the, the Gibeonites were livid. And the reason why the Gibeonites were livid is because Saul tried to kill them all. He tried to annihilate the Gibeonites. He said, oh, here's the problem. The Gibeonites had made a pact with Joshua when he came into the promised land. Now, the Gibeonites had deceived Joshua. They were Amorites. 
And they had deceived Joshua to pretend that they had traveled from a far country and they'd taken these old sacks and stale bread and they took worn out shoes and they dressed like they had traveled a great distance. And they made a treaty with Joshua and Joshua said, we'll leave you alone. But the reality is they only lived down the block. And, and, and Joshua bought it hook, line and sinker and got deceived and, and entered into a promise, a covenant before God swore to it. And listen, when you make a promise, you keep it even if it's a great expense to yourself. And Joshua kept it. And God said, you got to keep it. You didn't, you didn't do your homework, but you made an agreement and you got a hold to it. And the Gibeonites, they were like, yeah. And they were used car dealers. They, they, did, they shysted him. They, they messed with Joshua. But he didn't read the fine print. He didn't do his homework. He entered into a contract and God honored it. And in that honoring... Saul finally comes along after Joshua's long gone, and he sees these Gibeonites. He says, you know what? Let's just take them out. And as he goes to take them out, as he goes to take them out, he tries to annihilate the Gibeonites, violates this, this covenant before God. It ends up costing Saul his life, Jonathan's life, and many others their lives. And then God, as it says in the passage of Scripture, brought this drought on the land for three years. Everyone's being affected by Saul's sin. Everyone's being affected by Saul's sin. Let me repeat that in case you didn't get it. Everyone's being affected by Saul's sin. Point in case, or case in point. Your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. If my initial reaction was to be defensive, never would there be an opportunity to pray, never would be there an opportunity to have your heart moved and to have your life changed. And, and one sin can be met with another sin and pride can be met with pride. And then you just escalate it. And everybody's is a scorched earth policy, but it goes deeper. What, what changes the world? It's listen, it's not nurture that changes the world. It's devotion. Nurture comes out of devotion. God changes society. And, and this real reality that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy to the level you forgive. You will be forgiven. That's the only way to operate in devotion. Look what you've done for me, God. I want to do that. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall see God. I want to be that God. What you've done for me, I want to do for others. I want to be that. It's contrary to my nature, (laughs) my nature. My nature is to be defensive. My nature is to see you as an enemy. My nature is to protect myself and, and those that are united with me. And if you're not with me, you're with them. Mm. But God breaks down every wall, doesn't he? He says, bless those who spitefully use you, doesn't he? What kind of a God would do this? A God that said in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. We were the ones who had committed cosmic treason of all of his creation. And he left heaven to come to earth to reconcile us by his atoning death upon a cross so that we could be cleansed and forgiven and be reconnected with the father. And he says, as I have loved you, so love one another. How much do he love us this much? And when we're hanging on the cross, as the apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. We want to pull ourselves off that cross and give that person, take a pound of flesh from them and give them the what for. Don't we? And that does wonders to a family, as many of us can attest to. And that's 
sarcasm, in case you were wondering. We've all been recipients of revenge. We've either executed or received it. And that doesn't do anything for a nation or a community. And what it does is it brings, it brings grief and sadness. And I think when we just do the superficial flyover of Mother's Day and we, th- we call it nurture, it's, it's not deep enough. You want to change a culture? It's called devotion. This woman was devastated. Two sons of Rizbah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought for Adriel, the sons of Barzillai, Mahathali. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. They, they took all seven of them, and they hanged them. My two boys. What did they do? Why them? Why me? I mean, any death of a child is traumatic and senseless. I mean, I think about Mothers Against Drunk Driving. That organization came out of a senseless death of a child being killed by a drunk driver. You're trying to reconcile that as a, as a mother. I mean, what do you do? There they are. And, and she ended up, and, and this is what is, is so heavy because from May to September, so the harvest appears in May and the, the rains don't come till September, October. Um, they, they, they get that late. May, June, July, August, September, October. Six months she was under there and what she did for six months is she pushed away the buzzards and the animals at night, very little sleep, as she watched the elements take hold of the bodies of her two boys and the five of their relations. She tried to keep away the wolves and the buzzards. And this was her vigilance. What would cause a woman to do this? They're gone. They're gone. What's the point? Well, it's devotion. Love goes beyond the grave. Now, Rizba, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth, spread it for herself on the rock, and from the beginning of the harvest until the later rains, poured on them from heaven, and she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. I remember growing up in Coronado, and my mother... One time I'd ask a question of the symbol in a window of one of the houses um, in 1970 and maybe 71. And I asked my mother what it was and she described it to me. It was, uh, had two red banners, a blue field and a gold star in the middle. And she said, this is a gold star mother. I said, what did they, you know, was it a prize or what? She said, no, they, they lost uh, uh, their, their son in, in Vietnam. I said, um, is anyone looking for them? She said, no, they died. How did they die? They were killed in war. And and they would wear the armband and and, and I I couldn't fathom this. And these these mothers, is this an award that they get? It's a a recognition of, of what they've given for the freedom that we enjoy. 
650,000 people died on a field of battle in the Civil War. The Revolutionary War, one in nine Americans fought in the Revolutionary War. We lost over 100,000 soldiers in World War II. What, what occurred in World War I, let alone Korea? We go through Vietnam, and then we add the Gulf War, and we, you know, in Operation Enduring Freedom, and we see the maimed and the wounded and the hurt, and the, and the, and the dead with the gold star. That's one thing, but you, you, you have one with a, a silver star that your child's been wounded. And many, not just physically, but, uh, but mentally. And, and here we enjoy the luxury of that. And that's not nurture, that's devotion. You're having to go deep to find some sort of good in that mess. What, what did we win in Vietnam? For those who fought in Iraq, we've already given up. Uh, we can just go through all of it. K- Korea. Where, where do you find Romans 8.28? That all things work together for good with those who love God and are called according to their purpose. From these women, uh, there was a woman, um, her name was Grace Siebold, and her, her son was a pilot in World War I. He'd been stationed from America with a Canadian unit, and she wouldn't get word, save but for letters from him. And because of his absence, she would go and usage her sadness at her son's absence by caring for the soldiers that were coming back from World War I. And she would care for them in the hospitals, those that had been maimed and wounded. And she would think that if I'm caring for them, he'll be fine. And this is my devotion to God, devotion. And in the course of it, she would see all the carnage and all the heartache, and she would endeavor And then one day she receives in the mail a box of his earthly belongings and they couldn't find his body. The plane had crashed. This is all that they returned that was in the footlocker. And he was, she was never to see him again. And, and Woodrow Wilson, and they would, they would have the women for a year wear black in mourning. And he finally, with so many, uh, dead, instead of seeing this reminder daily, they just gave him an armband with a gold star. And that started the Gold Star Mothers, and here is a gathering of them. That's not a club you want to be a part of or an organization. This is an organization that is devoted to greater things than nurture. In case you ever see these, this is what they look like. That's a member serving. It's a blue star. Then the silver star is one who's been injured. And then the gold star is one that's been lost in war. On September 30th, we honor this. One of the things that came out of Mother's Day and, and was, was inspirational in the establishment of the Gold Star Mothers was Julia Ward Howe. Um, you know who she is. You, you, we, we actually sang the song she wrote in the rotunda of the Capitol in Sacramento, um, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He has trampled out the vintage. yes. She wrote this. It was the marching song of the Union Army. It was taken from um, John Brown's body, lays a, a smoldering in the grave. It actually went further back to a South Carolina, and they wanted to take it from the South, redeem it, and march the soldiers forward in, 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 the, in the cause to end and abolish slavery, uh, which we know 650,000 people died on a field of battle. And, and in the South, one in five, one in four families either lost a father, a son, a brother, 
in, in the union side, it was one in seven. Everyone was devastated. Everyone. And she wrote the marching orders. And, and at the end of the war, towards World War I, she would write, Arise then, women of this day. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether our baptism be that of water or of tears. She was so disillusioned by the death and the carnage and everything she'd see with the maimed soldiers coming back. And she was instrumental in writing this song. Here are a few stanzas. I, I sang this earlier. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightnings of his terrible Swiss sword. His truth is marching on. When Abraham Lincoln read this for the first time, he wept. He has sounded forth a trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. This, this is the intensity of it. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. His truth is marching on. Here she is in her older ages when she started Mother's Day. And her desire was to end war. That's not going to happen. And the, and the reason why it's not going to happen, as long as there's sin on the earth, there'll be war on the earth. Where do wars and rumors of wars come from? James says, you want something and you don't get it. And nobody in the room's ever experienced that. <laughs> what changes the course of human events? It's when the cross of Christ lands in the heart of a human soul. It's no longer what comes natural, revenge. It's no longer this idea of nurturing mine and ours. It's, it's devotion to a God that's come to reconcile sinful man to a holy God. Rizba, interestingly enough, different writers have drawn attention to the similarities between Rizba as she stood by those seven trees on the hillside and Mary who stood by the tree upon which her son hanged. God keeps, listen, Rizba is evidence that God keeps record of sins we overlook. And with Saul, our sins don't just affect us. His sins affected the whole nation. People die. And mothers with devotion want to go beyond it. Even that, that, that this woman would, would want to change the world and bring peace. But sins have to be punished or forgiven. And you also need to learn how to say you're sorry when you've wronged somebody. Sins cannot be overlooked or forgotten. Sins bear a price tag. The Bible says blood must be shed for the remission of sins. We tend to think our sins don't look so bad on us, but they look awful on others. But to God, sin looks like his son bloodied on a cross. Sin affects more than those who commit them. Every family's been affected by sin. Wouldn't it be nice if sin only affected the one who did it? We all wouldn't be here, by the way. <laughs> what prompted her deeds? 
What prompted her to protect dead bodies from ravaging animals? Devotion. You see, love goes beyond the grave. Love has no limits. Death couldn't diminish her love. It doesn't diminish the love of these gold star mothers or the women who have established MAD. It it spurs them on to good works. Love endures all things, it says in 1 Corinthians 13. This devoted love. You see, people are fickle. They're fair weather friends. And that's what makes Rizba's devotion even that much more compelling. She protected her boys, elevated this higher calling. Love always perseveres, love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13. You know what? God didn't give rain to Israel until the sin had been addressed. We read the passage. Until the sin had been addressed, rain didn't fall. God won't refresh our souls until our sin has been confessed. That's, that's a hard one to stomach because we don't feel responsible for it, do we? You know what's fascinating about the story is, you know who wronged David and threw spears at him and tried to kill him? Kicked him out of his home? Alienated him into the wilderness? Saul. You know who David fought to go deliver their corpses from hanging on the wall? David went to go deliver Saul and Jonathan from the wall of Bethshen at great expense to himself. You see, Rizba inspired David to reconcile to a man that had hurt him. I was touched by that. My mom held on in the hospital to say blessings on the children and to reconcile broken relationships before she stepped into eternity. Not like the Lord. I mean, people often say when you wear a crucifix around your neck, it's like wearing an electric chair. No, it's not. An electric chair is humane compared to a cross. You you design these these capital punishments so that you can affect a quick death. The reason why you have 13 knots in a hangman's noose is because you have to balance it with the weight so it breaks the neck and the person dies quickly. You want it to be humane. We want to inject them so they fall asleep. We want to electrocute them so it's quick. Not the cross. The cross is designed to make it as miserable as possible and get every pound of flesh out of them. You get to enjoy their suffering. They have to pull themselves up on these nails to breathe or they'll be suffocated. They have to push on the wound of their foot upon the nail that's pierced it just to get a breath. And if there's there's humanity and if there's kindness, they'll break your legs so you can't pull yourself up. The femur bone, they say that's the most painful thing a human being can experience is a breaking of a femur bone. It's not humane. And here he's pulling himself up. And of his seven last phrases, while he's on the cross, he says to John, the youngest of the disciples, he picked him because he knew he'd live the longest. He picked John. He said, John, take care of mom. Mom, 
John's going to take care of you. He did a good job. He took her to Ephesus. Beautiful home up in the hills. He was devoted to her and she was devoted to him. That love changed the world. He endured the Via Dolorosa, the way of pain, because he was devoted to you and me. I think what moves me about Rizba is you see David reconciled to his division with Saul. You, 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 see, you, you see the nation realizing with Abner that this woman has been maligned and they unite behind David because of the gossip that this woman had to endure. They all, all of a sudden start to rally around because here's a woman devoted for five, six months protecting the corpses of her boys. So they say, we've got to get Saul. We've got to get Jonathan off that wall. We've got to reconcile this. And the minute they do that and they, he, they heed what this woman has been devoted to, the rains start to fall. And God heals the land. How did she do that? From the depths of devotion. Somewhere in this, there's going to be good. And I don't know how, but the God I serve is good. And in a miserable world, I will find this out some way. In the brief passages of scripture pertaining to her life, it stands out before us as very clear. Instead of mourning for herself, she guarded the remains of her two sons and she went on to change an entire nation. Miss Ward changed a nation. Miss Siebold changed a nation. God desires that we work all things together for good, and that comes with one simple reality. We don't trust in the nurture, we trust in the devotion. You got two options when your heart's broken. Do what comes natural or trust the Lord and be devoted to him that he will work it together for good. When Zabel Garabian sat in that service on Mother's Day childless, not wanting to sit through another Mother's Day sermon, her heart was broken. And she was devoted. And she made a difference and changed the entire city of Fresno. Yeah, we can fly over Mother's Day and make it fluffy and give you no more credit than a dog taking care of her puppies. Or we can go a little bit deeper and realize in a fallen world with pain, there's a God who can reach into the depths of your pain and work it together for good if you'd but trust him. And a woman like Rizba would change a nation a lady like Zabel changed the city and certainly touched my life. I want today to be deep, not dark. By his death upon the tree, God's son satisfied his father's justice and righteousness and provided a perfect salvation for a sinning race. And because of that sacrifice, the world was forever changed. In that picture of Rizba with her 
with the, her two boys and, and, and the five relatives. And then you see the picture of Jesus on Golgotha. How can something good come from that? Well, look around the room. The sacrifice of God's only son from that hellish nightmare on Golgotha where all the world's sins were piled on him and the beatings were so vicious. Your families have been healed. Your lives have been touched. Your sins have been forgiven. And your devotion has been ignited. I've been forever changed. I can't read a letter and take it personal because I'm dead. I can only read that letter with the heart of the Lord and say, God, what is my role in this? How do I use it together for good? If you think the battle is against flesh and blood, you're sorely mistaken. And if you think that it's to protect you, you and yours, you're mistaken. We're on this earth for his purposes, devoted to him. Because at times it's not going to make sense, but if you want to go deep, you, you, you have to ask him to show you. And be careful because he'll break your heart with what breaks his. It's not a superficial nurturing, as important as nurture is. It's not a superficial nurturing. It's a deep devotion that heals the brokenhearted. Let this day affect all of us, regardless of what Mother's Day means to you. Get over it. Because he uses all things together for good. You don't get to pick the parents you get in this world, but you can pick the kind of parent you're going to be. And if you've never been a parent, guess what you are? Zabel proved that. Lois proved it. Alice proved it. If you need more, I'll let you know. So let the Lord use that heart of devotion to change this world and take this day and make it forever a day that you will never forget the day that God showed you his cross, that from the misery of that, he made the good of what we have. And if he was willing to die for us, we can die for him.